Well, this morning is going to be like the conclusion sermon uh, for this series I've had on the wilderness. And you say, well, we already finished it last week. Jesus rebuked the devil when he left. And yes, that's correct. I mean, that's where we were. The angels came and attended him. Uh, we've been in the book of Matthew chapter 4, uh, this, this temptation of Jesus where the Spirit of God has led him out into the wilderness. And we've seen uh, through the temptations of Jesus that, that really these temptations are normative to mankind. There are things that we still face. There are things that Jesus faced again in his ministry. There are situations or temptations that Israel faced in, in, in their wilderness time as well. Uh, Jesus was tempted first to, to, to prove himself. Like, if you're the son of God, like, do something. Like, just, just put this thing to the test. And then he was tempted with the idea that if you're the son of God, if God really is your father, then he'll save you. So, so the enemy said, why don't you test God? And then the enemy, last week we looked at the reality of, uh, of the, the easy way, or I'll give you everything you came to accomplish if you'll just bow down and worship me. And those temptations, as we've looked at them, um, they, 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 they really are, like I said, something that follows mankind. The interesting thing, Jesus leaves the wilderness, right? But when he leaves the wilderness, he faces these same, same, same temptations as he goes into his public ministry. Matthew chapter 5 starts, what happens? Jesus goes to Capernaum and begins to preach there. I mean, we begin to see that he calls his disciples. And, and then we're going to get into Matthew uh, chapter 5 where we see this, this sermon that Jesus is preaching, the first one that's recorded in Scripture. It's like three chapters in the book. Like these are some things that Jesus has learned. But, but really the wilderness is something that I think we have to understand. He wasn't in the wilderness specifically, but, but the life he had was still facing that wilderness temptation. We we as, as people of God have to understand that, that, that there's an, a real enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's still trying to tempt us. He's still trying to lead us away from the plans and provisions that God has for us and the promises of God. So Jesus is preaching to people that Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a phenomenal sermon. We looked at it, I think, during COVID in the park um, is when I spent the time preaching through that sermon. Um, but I want to look at one aspect of that because I can't read it without knowing that um, or thinking that God must be referring back to the wilderness. So uh, most of us, I don't usually quote King James, but this is the way we've learned it. So it's going to be in King James this morning. Uh, we've heard these verses uh, right before this in, in verse 9. In, in, um, in the NIV, it says, this is how you should pray. I'm not exactly sure. It read really funny to me in the King James, so I didn't have it up there. Uh, may you something or other. And, and so, um, but Jesus is basically saying, here's how what you should pray. I'm teaching people um, about, about faith. I'm teaching people what I've learned. And Jesus says to them, this is how you should pray. And most of us, um, when I say we've learned some scripture, most of us in this room, I would assume, can recite these particular verses of scripture, right? We've said them often. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verse 13, this is the one. How do I not go back to the wilderness and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil or from the evil one? It literally says in other translations. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. When we look at these words, they're words that Jesus is saying, hey, I want to teach you. I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. These, this prayer, actually, in my mind, it, it, it's bringing to reference 
the wilderness experience that we've just learned about. He's bringing to, to reference this time, this season in his life. And I have to think, if he's ending it with this, the principles in which he's teaching us in this prayer are, are some in which he gleaned from in that time in the wilderness. And so this morning, I want to look at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. I want to look at a prayer that many of us have said time and time again and and really point it back to Jesus wanting us to live the, the fullest life we can live. Recognizing that temptation isn't just isolated to a moment in the desert or in the wilderness, but that in our lives we need to pray these, these words because there's principles in these words that I believe he's drawing from this wilderness encounter for us, his children, to be able to pray so that we can withstand the temptation, so that we can withstand the trials that come or the evil one who tries to distort us. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, this prayer starts... In, in, in a place, uh, our Father, which art in heaven. Now, what is, that, what is that phrase accomplishing for us when we pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, remember, if you go back to the wilderness, there was this identity question that Jesus was facing time and time again. If you are the Son of God. So it's a good place to start knowing who God is, Right? If when I pray, I know who God is, I've got his identity figured out in me, that's pretty important. There's only four people who get to call me father, right? It's my kids. That's my identity in their lives. And if they call someone else father, I'm going to be confused. Does that make sense? They're going to have an identity crisis right now. If they start calling someone else dad. It's that moment of the kid, you, you know, we've all seen it when the kids are about this tall. You've ever had someone pull on your knee and you look down or they, they've got their arm around your leg. And you look down and they realize, oh, man. Or scary man. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like this isn't the identity isn't right. We have to start when we when we position ourselves for prayer, we have to start in the understanding of who God is. That his nature is. When he revealed his nature in the Old Testament, he said, I am. I am who I am. And so often we let that piece of our prayer life, we let that piece of our understanding waver. Like, am I the son of God? Mm, It was yesterday, but today not so much. Right? We, we, we let us wonder, God is good. Oh, yeah, well, maybe not. God is love. Yeah, sometimes I feel that, sometimes I don't. No, God is. And it has to start with an identity of who God is. When we pray, we have to know who God is. That's how Jesus made it through the wilderness. I know who the Father is, right? So what does he say? I know who he is, so I want to pray. Oops. Hallowed be thy name. Who this week used the word hallowed in their conversation? This is one of them words that, yeah, it sounds good in the prayer, but I'm not even sure we know what it means. Right? I mean, it's a word that, what, what are we saying when we pray this? Like Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. Well, that's a cool church word, churchy be your name. Right? I mean, isn't that where most of us stop with it? What are we saying when we say hallowed 
be your name. It comes from the Greek word hagiazo, I believe is the word. It comes from a word which means to be holy. And when we look at the definition of it, um, it means to make holy, to treat as holy, to set apart as holy, to sanctify, to hallow, to purify. In the Merriam-Webster, holy, sacred, consecrated, or revered. In the New Living Translation, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's the idea of this, of this word, hallowed. I believe when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying, God, help me, huh? Because we're called Christ ones. We're known by his name, right? Help me keep your name holy. There's a lot of responsibility in that. When I think about myself in this position, when I pray, God, hallowed be your name. May my life be conducted in a way. May the way in which I live be reflective of the sanctity, of the holiness, of the purity of your, of your name. And I need help there, right? Because then what is name? Like when we think of name, we think Steve. Like it's these five letters. That's what, what I am. Or Stephen, because my mom named me with, with the name Stephen, and I go by Steve. But that's, that's what my name is. Like it's just something you put on a piece of paper. My kids always forget to put their name on their piece of paper. There's a line that says name, but they can't remember to write it down. I mean, when we say the word name, we kind of assume it's just the, the title or what, what, what people call you. But biblically, when we were talking name, it wasn't just just the word in which someone called you by, but it was the whole of your reputation. It was the whole of, of who you were. Everything which the name covers, everything, the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, or remembering the name. One's rank, authority, interests, pleasures, commands, excellences, deeds. Your name is all that you are. So, so when we're hearing this, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be everything that you are when someone hears Yahweh in this situation, right? I am. All that encompasses him, not just words that we sing, not just words that we write, but it's everything. It's the reputation. It's the authority. It's the rank. It's the purpose in which you are. So we're praying to God, may we, may I, sanctify, may my life, may the way in which I live my life be a reflection or or, or help set apart all that you are in this world. There's a lot in that prayer. That's a pretty profound prayer when, when it really comes down to it because this is bringing now this word responsibility to us. We're not just praying for God. You know, sometimes I think we like to pray to God because we want him to do the things that we don't want to do. And so we just say, hey, God, why don't you do this? And we don't have to engage in that because he's some cool mystical character that just comes in and goes poof and makes it disappear and everything's great. No, this one is we're praying in such a way as we say, God, I've recognized who you are. Our father who art in heaven. You are my father. You are the one. Hallowed be your name. Let me live. Let, let me purify. Let the way in which I'm living be, be a, a holiness or a reverence unto you, the reputation, all that you are. That's a whole different prayer. You see, I think this, in my mind, this is Pastor Steve, this is how I work, this, in my mind, 
goes along with this last temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. Now, remember the temptation. What was the temptation Jesus faced? The last one. The easy way. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. But what was the one thing he had to do? Bow down and worship me, Satan said. If there's any way to not hallow the name of God, it's to bow down to the enemy, huh? Does that make sense? Like when we don't truly live in such a way, Jesus could have said, yeah, that's the easy way. That's the way this can be accomplished. But no, his position is what? I have to do it not the easy way, but my father's way, because I know my father and I know who my father is. And my life is going to be a reflection of his will. So hallowed be his name. He went back to Moses. Moses, you know, is talking about the Lord who is a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. Sometimes I need to pray. Okay? This is a prayer that I think he is teaching us to repeat because in a little bit we're going to see a word daily. So this is something that I need to be reminded of on a pretty regular basis. Am I hallowing his name? God today, the way in which I live today, let me do things your way. God today, the way in which I live this day, let me do things the way that will honor, that will reveal, that will bring glory to your name. Not bow down to the enemy, not perceive or allow others to become something that that they're not. Someone else to become a God or the Lord in my life. Let me live this way in which my life truly reflects you. He says to pray. I love this prayer. I love to pray the kingdom of God. I, I, I love the promise that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus Christ, when he came to preach... He was preaching about the coming of the kingdom of God. That's the majority of what he preached as he was here. The fact that there is a kingdom of God that has been revealed and that I am now a part of today. I love that prayer. Your kingdom come, but I'm not sure I always like the next part. Huh? Like, I love the kingdom of God. I love the fact that, that I'm an ambassador of the king, that I live in his kingdom, that I have the privileges of the kingdom of God. I love the promises of the kingdom of God. I love the thought of living in, in the here and, and not yet. I love the reality that, that, that I'm a representation of the kingdom of God. We talked about that last week. But man, those next words are hard to say. Thy will be done. Yeah, that's a thought. Thy will be done. What are we praying when, when we pray these words? Thy, thy will be done. The will of the Father be, be accomplished. I'm going to trust your way. Remember the second temptation? What was the second temptation? We'll take you up on the pinnacle of the temple and we're going to do what? You're going to jump off and God's going to, God's going to do it the way you tell him to do it. Because you positioned yourself to dictate what God needs to do. So you're being stupid and you go and jump off a temple and you say, God, send your angels to save me. 
That's the temptation, right? They have God prove himself. Remember what I said. We don't, we don't test God. We trust God. How do we trust God? We say, God, your will be done. What did Jesus pray in the garden? We went to the garden. When we preached that sermon, Jesus is praying in the garden, take this cup from me. And he's not talking about just a drinking cup. He's talking about the cup of the new covenant. He's talking about the cup of suffering in which he's about to endure. Take this cup from me. But he says what? Not my will, but yours be done. And how often do I need to pray that prayer? Probably more than once a day. Huh? Every time I drive, I need to pray that prayer. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Because I don't want to be in sin, Jordan, while I'm driving, so I just got to keep praying that prayer. <laughs> Right? I mean, that's the reality that we, we can trust God. And you know what? I love this story of trust, and, and it kind of leads us in, in, into Easter. I want to read in Mark chapter 29. This season in which Jesus demonstrates this, because it brings about the kingdom of God. I will say that when we live in complete trust of God, we reveal the kingdom of God and the purposes of his kingdom. I'm going to say that again because that's deep. And I want someone in here to grasp that. When I live in trust of God, when I live completely yielded to his will, I can expect the revelation of his kingdom and I can expect the fulfillment of kingdom purposes in and around me. Do you hear what I'm saying or do I need to say it a third time? I will say it a third time. If I live in complete trust of God, if my life is wholly submitted to him, if, I, am I, if I'm living the words that say, not my will, but yours be done, thy will be done. If I'm living in such a manner, I should expect the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God to be revealed in my life, in the lives of those around me. And when the kingdom of God is revealed, I should expect kingdom results. Parenting today, got to say it three times. That's okay. Mark chapter 15, those, I want you to think about that. Living in complete submission. Take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done. The words of men, that was what was the enemy used against Jesus, right? He took the word of God and he distorted it. Doesn't it say in the Old Testament that if God will send his angels off the mountains, I mean, he'll save you if you fall. I mean, that's what he does. He distorts the word of God. Those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying so. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. In in the book of Matthew, it says, they say to him, won't your God save you? Like, why don't you just call out to your God and he'll come save you. And this entire time, all I'm hearing in my mind is is they're saying to him, who are you? Are you really what you say they are? Can't God save you? You know, I mean, if you're the son of God, why don't you just come off the cross? I hear him saying time and time again, I'm not saying this is factual. This is my chosen moment. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Come off the cross. Not my will. Mm, That'd be easy. Would yours be done? 
You see, I see someone who's in submission to the will of the Father. He says, I have to, I have to completely trust him, and I have to trust his way. Yeah, there's a way that seems easier. There's a way that we could do this quicker. But I have to trust him. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such an interesting phrase in Scripture. This phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a psalm, uh, I'm not sure of the psalm, that actually David says these same things. He's actually quoting a psalm of David in this, in which I'm not saying Jesus didn't feel forsaken. I'm not saying Jesus didn't feel alone, but it's actually a redemptive psalm in, in, in the book of Psalms, in which David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He talks about his enemies, but he also talks about all that God has accomplished. It wasn't this was said without hope. This wasn't said being that, God, I, I've gone somewhere you didn't mean for me to be, that you just left me alone here to die. Jesus is saying, I think he naturally is feeling the, 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 the weight of the world. I think he's naturally feeling separation and he's feeling forsaken in this moment, but he's not worried. That's the prayer. That's what he speaks out. That's what those who are standing around hear him say. What do they hear him say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And it's amazing because the conclusion of these verses, the kingdom of God is revealed when we trust God and we live in that trust for God. Because look what happens. When some of those standing near him heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. See, he listened to us. He's, he's calling out for someone to come save him. Someone ran, they filled a sponge with wine vinegar, they put it on a staff and they offered, Jesus, offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, at this point, I'm just going to pause. What has just happened? We've been telling Jesus to call on the Father to save him, to save himself. We've been telling him that there's an easier way for this. That's the crowd. That's those who are watching, right? They've heard him cry out to, to God. They've heard him say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm guessing Elijah's going to come now. That's their expectation. And then Jesus does what? He dies. That's what we were trying to tell him. He could have avoided this, right? Isn't that what should be going on? But what happens? What's the product of this? I love verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Dude died. And the centurion recognized he was who? He recognized his identity, the identity of Christ. If you are the son of... I mean, that's what he's recognizing in this moment. How does the kingdom of God get revealed to the centurion in the midst of, of this chaos? Apart from someone who is submitted wholly to the plans of God to allow his kingdom to be revealed and the promises of his kingdom to come forth. Does that make sense? That's cool stuff to me. Surely this man was the Son of God. He looked at how he died. 
It wasn't what he said. It wasn't the promises God made. He looked at how the guy died, how he was radically obedient to the father's plan, how in the midst of all the voices, in the midst of all the things, in the midst of all the emotion, in the midst of the words that were spoken, he didn't come off that cross. Truly, he must be the son of God. My apologetics for the resurrection. If anyone asks me how I defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I say to look at his followers' lives. Truth was revealed because they understood who God was and they stood firm in the midst of persecution. And the kingdom of God was revealed when they radically followed the will of God. They weren't afraid of men. They died terrible deaths. Why? Because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That's why they did it. Why? Because that's who he was. That's what God was. When I know who God is, our Father who art in heaven. When my, en- my, when my identity is established in who he is, and I'm living my life, hallowed be your name. May my life be a, a, a way in which your love is revealed, in which your name is carried out, your reputation, all that you are. That then when I, when I trust you wholeheartedly, even when it doesn't make sense to those around me, even when the story written doesn't seem as, as compelling as, as what you expect it to be, man, God, there's a better way for this. Like Jesus could have said, like, how about I wait until the last minute and then I just scream out hallelujah and I come off the cross and I'm like fighting and I like punch soldiers in the face and then people will believe that you're, the, you're, you're God, right? I mean, isn't that the way that works better? No, there was a radical trust of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. Even if this doesn't make sense. Even if what you're asking me is hard. I'm going to follow you. So when we trust God with everything that we are, We allow his kingdom to be revealed in us wherever we are. And we can expect to see kingdom fruit in those moments. That's what Jesus is praying. God, I'm a part of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Where? Wherever I go. Your kingdom's going to come. How? When your will is done. When, When I'm accomplishing. When I'm listening. When I'm obeying the will of the Father. Like what a prayer. Kids liked it. Huh? Yeah. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. What was the first temptation in the wilderness? Huh? If you're hungry, turn these breads to, these stones to bread, not these bread to stone. That'd be weird. Right? And obviously, uh, we talked about that being an effort to prove ourselves I think really it's highlighting in this context the ability to trust God in all ways and all things at all times and not trust myself or not trust my circumstances more than him. You know, this is referencing what period in in, in Israel's history, what's happening, what's the daily bread? Manna, right? How often did they have to go out and get manna? Every day. I, I think it's this continual trust of him that every day I must do this, right? Now, what did God do to their shoes and their clothes in the wilderness? He made them last, right? They didn't wear out the entire time they were in the wilderness, it says. So if God could make their clothes last, why couldn't he make their food last? What happened to the manna when they took it for more than a day? What happened to them? 
It spoiled and they got sick, right? Because they didn't fully trust God every, every day. I need to be reminded every day that I need God. You know, we live in a society, we live in a world where we have everything we want and everything we really need. This idea of dependence, it's a hard thing for us because we really don't face it. We've got, we've got it all. I can flip the switch, the lights come on, I can, I, I can put my clothes in a dirty hamper and they magically get washed. I mean, i got it all. Food on the table, freezer's full, cupboards are full, need more. And do I recognize that I need God every day? He says, I'm the bread of life in the book of John. Jesus is going back to this, that every day you need me. That every day you need your portion. That every day that, that, that there's, a, there's a quantity, there's something in him for you. Yet too often we gather what we need on a Sunday and we wait till the next Sunday to eat again. Too often, uh, it, it all comes so easy. I mean, I mean, church makes it real easy. We've got, we got preachers who, who preach good. We've got singers who sing good. It makes us feel good. We feel good. We can go through this process. We have all that we need, and we forget the one in which he said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word made his flesh, became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We need Jesus Christ. I don't care what we accomplish in this place. If we haven't experienced Jesus Christ, then we failed. And it's not just something that happens here. Jesus is teaching us to pray every day. You know, the more that I lean on myself, prove yourself, the more I forget how much I need God. I remember in my ministry, when I started in in, in youth ministry, I got to a place where I said, I'm smart enough to do this. They're just teenagers. Like, how hard can it be? Seriously, you buy a Big Mac, you you put it in a blender, you throw it in their face, they laugh, and then you tell them about Jesus, and then you go home. Like, it's not that hard. And I can remember a moment in which God spoke to me, and he said, man, you're not good enough to do this without me. You can have all the ideas in the world. You can, you can read about all the things that other people are doing. You can, you can reproduce those things. But if you don't need me, then my kingdom won't be revealed. And you won't experience the kingdom fruit that I intend for, for your people, for your kids to experience. Every day, I need Jesus. Every day, I need the power of God. Every day, I need the plans of God to help me through my, my day. That's the temptations. He goes to this other verse that we don't necessarily like. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But this is a principle for us. I'm not going back to the wilderness with this. I'm just preaching on this extra because it's here. How are we supposed to pray for forgiveness? We like for God to forgive us, right? When we screw up, what's the first thing we do? God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Get me out of this mess. I don't want to be where I am, right? Isn't that what we do? We cry out to God forgiveness. And we forget about what the second half of that says. What does it say? Huh? What's the as word there? What's it say after as? Man, we, we need to say this out loud. 
Forgive us our debts. Come on. What's the measure in which he forgives us? What's the measure in which he's saying to pray for forgiveness? Well, that's a scary that's a scary prayer right there. I'm telling you, that's one of the scarier prayers in scripture. Do you ever think about that in your life? It's so scary that he he comes back to it. This is the add-on to the prayer. We already said, for thine is the power of the kingdom and glory. And he said, hey, you didn't hear me the first time, so I'm going to say this the second time. You need me to say it the third time. Right? Isn't that what Jesus is doing here? And he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, what's this next one? If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. I'll just let you meditate on that for a while. I don't even have to preach that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Before we go back to the wilderness, but that's the promise that we have. God can set us free from the evil one. Jesus spoke to the enemy to be gone, right? Jesus said, away from me, Satan. And what happened? What happened? When Jesus said, away from me, Satan, what happened? He was gone. Someone needs to hear that today. That as children of God, we can pray to, to, to set me free, lead me not into temptation, and deliver me from the evil one. We can say to the evil one, get away from me, Satan. And guess what? He's gone. We don't have to entertain him any longer. That's the power we have as children of God. That we can speak to the enemy, that one that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, that one that wants to twist the word of God and cause us to live in a way in which the kingdom of God is not revealed, accomplishing the enemy's plans, not the kingdom plans, experiencing enemy fruit, not kingdom fruit. And yet we're afraid to say, get away. We just sang a song. I remember when I, when I first got in church and and, and, and Tam's told our kids this same thing, but, but that sometimes when, when we're having dreams that aren't good, you know, when our kids tell us, Mom, I'm having a nightmare, or Dad, I'm having a nightmare, do you know what we tell them? Speak the name of Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus has authority over the God of this age. Because I'm a part of His kingdom. When I speak His name, the enemy must, he must flee. There's power in the name of Jesus. And so I speak that name and the enemy flees. Jesus is teaching us, pray this way, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. The kingdom of God being revealed in us. I want the kingdom of God. Amen? You guys can come forward. I'll ask it this way. Who here wants to see the kingdom of God in their life? Okay? I think Jesus has taught us how to pray for the revelation of his kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, I know who God is. Hallowed be your name. I want to live my life in such a way that, that, I'm, that I'm revering, that I'm setting apart the name of God. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, I want to see the revelation of the kingdom of God around me. So I must trust you in all things, in all ways. Give me what I need for today. So I trust you tomorrow. Let me not lean more on myself than I'm leaning on you. Forgive my debts as I've forgiven others. Help me to live in forgiveness. Let forgiveness be a part of me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Get him away from me. Get behind me, Satan. Because the kingdom of God, the power of God, and glory of God are going to be revealed. And there'll be fruit that comes in our lives. I'm going to ask us, um, we don't normally corporately pray, but I'm going to ask us this morning before we start to sing and enter into worship, I want us to pray this prayer together. And then as we spend a time in worship, I'll be here to pray with you if you need me. But I encourage you to really reflect on a part, the entirety of, it, it should I think if, if we can just leave this on there, if they're singing a different song, you guys get to make up the words. That's the cool part. That's the part about worship that works. You can just say what you want, sing what you want, and it, it's okay. Um, because I want these words to be in front of our face. And as we spend time worshiping God, I encourage you to look at the word of God and see, hey, how does Jesus need to teach me today? Maybe I need to recognize his identity. Maybe I need to recognize my place in his identity. Maybe I need to recognize the responsibility that I have as an ambassador of the king, as a representative of him. Am I living my life in such a way that's bringing glory to the king? Maybe I need to look at myself and say, am I leaning more on myself than I am on God? And and say, God, give me today just the daily bread, enough for today so that I need you tomorrow. Maybe I need to pray for forgiveness. Like I'll recognize as I'm praying, there's a lot of people I haven't forgiven. And that's the measure in which I've been asking God to forgive me. Maybe I need to ask God to, to set me free from the evil, evil one, to not lead me back to this wilderness ever again. Help me get away from this place so that I can be positioned to do his purpose. Because there's a kingdom of God that he wants to reveal. The kingdom of God that is now, that he wants to reveal in your life, that will produce kingdom fruit. I love A plus B equals C. I love it because it's an equation I can understand. When I trust God wholeheartedly, he reveals his kingdom. When I'm living in trust in the kingdom of God, I should anticipate kingdom fruit. I should have a kingdom expectation in me. That should be the product of that. The centurion should say, truly, this man is the son of God. People should see Jesus. They should recognize his love and say, truly, he loves me too. This is how we should pray. That's what Jesus said. It's what he learned. It's what he taught. Said the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace. And may you know God. May you honor God in submission. So the kingdom of God can be revealed in you and through you. Amen? That you can have kingdom fruit. Amen? I say be blessed.